Hello, everybody. This is Three Guys on Table. I'm your co-host, Patrick McGowan, joined here by... Micah Beckman. Our other co-host, Noah Beckman, has died due to quarantine. Today, we're going to be talking to our principal, Mr. Williams, about scuba diving and fitness. Today is National Tell-A-Story Day. So, right now we have uh, our principal, Dr. Will- Dr. Mr. Williams on. Um, so thank you for taking some time out of your day to come on to our podcast and talk to us. I think it's going to be real fun. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So our first question that we have is, like, we've been told that you were a scuba diver before you were a principal. So, like, what exactly do you, like, do as a scuba diver? Ah, all right. Good question. So um, it's funny. I actually worked my way through college as a scuba instructor. Just where I grew up. I grew up near the Atlantic Ocean in New Hampshire. I've always been around it since I was a little kid and watching divers in and out of the water. Always wanted to do it. And um, when I was in high school, I got certified and then just loved it. Just stayed with it. Became an instructor and actually worked my way through college as a scuba instructor in New Hampshire. And then my first job out of college. So I graduated with a degree in uh, biology, environmental mm-hmm. biology. So my first job was at a marine lab in uh, in Maine called Bigelow Lab for Ocean Sciences, where I did underwater research on lobster and crab populations, cool, cool. Um, which was awesome. I loved it. Cool. I've been diving ever since. I'm still diving. That sounds really neat. How do you go from being a scuba diver to a principal? It seems like two fairly different jobs. I know. It is two different paths. <laughs> you know what happened? Actually, when I was working in Maine, I, um, I sustained an injury to my middle ear. There's a, uh, a membrane in there called your oval window, which is se- essentially separates your middle from your inner ear. And I was doing a lot of deep repetitive diving. And um, oftentimes I had sinus congestion, but you're working, you're still working, you're pushing through it. And I tore that oval window while I was diving. And at the time, they told me I would never be able to go back in the water. Like every time I went in the water, I would get intense vertigo. And um, you know, I still remember it vividly to this day. I, I was um, coming up from maybe 90 feet. And as I approached the surface, I remember looking up, maybe I'm 20 feet deep now, and I'm looking up at the surface. And all of a sudden, um, as I'm going up, I start everything starts spinning. And I just got intense vertigo that lasted for like five days. It was horrible, like laying in the bed and nothing could stop the world from spinning. Um, and then after that, I saw several doctors. Um, anytime I went back in the water, I would get the vertigo again. And um, they told me I, I couldn't dive. Um, at the time, we were also doing a lot of outreach work with um, like local school groups. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be a teacher. It was always there. And that sort of pushed me. You know, I enjoyed working with kids and that sort of pushed me to take a different path. Um, go to grad school for my teaching degree rather than to continue to pursue underwater research. So are there like assessments and stuff that you have to do to become a scuba diving like instructor? There are, yeah. So the first thing you do is um, what they call open water diver cert and that consists of um, just four, four uh, sessions in the pool and four sessions in open water. That gets you certified to start diving. From there, once you get a little practice, get some time under your belt, then you can get an advanced certification. And the advanced certification covers deep diving, covers night diving. Um, and then there are two optional, like sort of mini courses. Um, oftentimes it's, I used to like doing search and recovery. Um, sometimes it's drift diving. Uh, there are different elements to it, depending on where you go. And you, so you get an advanced certification. After that would be a rescue, certified rescue diver, where you're certified to actually uh, do rescues in open water. Um, after that would be dive master certification. And then from there, it'd be an instructor certification. And then there's an entry-level instructor, and there's also specialty instructor courses as well. Hmm. So there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize there were 
like that many like steps and stuff that you there's a ton of yeah there is there is and diving's pretty amazing it's funny like i've always loved it and never been able to put my finger on it like why do i feel so good after spending an hour underwater why do i feel so relaxed and now that i know a lot more about breathing and about meditation i think there is a meditative quality to it because when you're diving you're so if you're doing it well you're so hyper focused on your breath on your breathing and you're trying consciously to slow it down um you know every inhale every exhale is elongated and um it's so loud you know you can hear your breath so you're really really in tune with your breath and once you're good at it and you, you perfect your buoyancy you're essentially weightless and so now you're in this completely different environment this 360 degree environment where you're totally weightless and part of the way you move like if you want to go up you just breathe in a little deeper and that's going to rise you up a little bit you want to go down like over you come over a big rock formation and you want to go down the other side i just exhale a little deeper and you sort of descend down the other side when you want to stop descending you take a deep breath and you can control your locomotion with your breathing it's really neat and, and when you're done it, it's almost like you've done an hour of meditation or an hour of breath work you know you guys must know about being in the zone from playing sports I don't know if you know about flow states at all. Like, and that's, that's kind of like being in the zone. When you're in a flow state, you're, you're completely 100% present. You're not thinking about anything in the past, anything in the future. You're 100% dialed in. Mm -hmm. And that's something that diving had always done for me. Hmm. So real quick, we want to do a sticky situation. Mm -hmm. um, so here's the situation. The zombie apocalypse breaks out during school. There's very few people around that aren't infected. So what's the game plan? Wait, very few people that are infected or are not? Very people that aren't infected. That are not infected. Yeah. Yes. Most people are infected. So yeah, so like 70, 80% of people are infected. All right, we just get word of this. And we're at school? Mm -hmm. So what about the school? Are we, uh, are kids infected or no? Do I have to protect no, no, the school? No. You got to protect the school. That's, that's <laughs> the situation. Oh, boy. Well, I guess the first thing we got to do is go into lockdown. Uh, that's number one. Um, but then that's certainly not going to be enough if it's widespread out, out in society and out in the community. I'd have to gather as much, uh, as much information as I could about these zombies and figure out where they are. It wouldn't just be a static lockdown. We have to go into lockdown, make sure everybody's safe, lock the doors, but then I'd quickly have to assemble a team to defend the school. Um, you know, so I would probably handpick um, some capable teachers. Uh, maybe some capable students, some eighth graders, uh, because it's going to be, you know, we're all going to have to pitch in to take care of this thing. Um, see if we could get some equipment from the gym, maybe some baseball bats, <laughs> golf clubs, you know, whatever, whatever we can get to yeah. take some swings at the zombies and just sort of um, be ready at all the entrances and exits. And I think that's the best we could probably do. Just get gather up as many weapons as we could. <laughs> yeah. Just get ready for them. <laughs> all right. So, um, We've talked a little bit about like healthy stuff. So like, what are some tips about like the diet side specifically, if you've gone into that range at all? Yeah. So the diet in what respect, just in general, just in general. So like, are there certain like diets that you do for like certain scenarios? Like if you're trying to just build mass, would you eat a certain way? If you're trying to slim down, like, are there certain things that you would like certain diets? Yeah, got it. So it's funny. Like I've experimented with um, with diet and nutrition and health all my life. Um, like I started working out probably when I was your age, uh, actually lifting weights or doing some sort of strength and conditioning, and I've been doing it ever since. So it's been something that's been part of part of my life, really. Um, 
and it's funny for, for most of my young adult, most of my adult life, really beginning when I was your age, I was always a big believer in eating about six meals a day. And the idea behind that was, and I'm not saying this was the right way to do it now, but the idea behind it was to stabilize your blood sugar by eating six small meals a day. You're not eating too much, so you're not spiking your blood sugar too high. Um, and then by eating frequently, you don't let your blood sugar crash too much. And for me, I was always afraid of going more than a few hours without eating because I was afraid of going to starvation mode and it would cannibalize your muscle, you know. Um, now there's much more research out there and I think I'm much more in tune with my own body to realize that you don't really need to eat all that frequently. So for me, I, I practice intermittent fasting pretty regularly. Um, and when I say intermittent fasting, I, I'm going for a minimum of 16 hours a day usually without eating. But if you think eight of those 16 hours are sleeping, you know, yeah. that's not really that bad. Um, oftentimes though, I'll go longer. Sometimes I go, um, 18, 20, even, even 24 to 36 hours with no food. And that, that includes working out um, and, it, and it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really impact me anymore. Um, it's interesting. Part of that is because I also experiment with the, with the, um, keto diet, which is very trendy and yeah. actually very, very misunderstood. Um, so a keto diet is essentially a high fat diet. It's a high fat, low carb diet. Um, where you're talking maybe 75 to 85 percent of your calories coming from fat um very few like under 10 percent coming from carbohydrates and the remainder of protein yeah um and those diets were originally they were pioneered to treat uh believe it or not juvenile epilepsy hmm. um so you guys know what ketone bodies are i have no idea what that is so you're uh, when you take in fats your liver converts fats to ketone bodies and there are three of them there's something called beta hydroxybutyrate um, and I'm going to forget what the other ones were. Acetone is one of them. Uh, a lot of times you might hear people that are in keto for a long time. They say they have keto breath. That's because you actually smell the acetone on their breath. And, um, there's one other body that I forget in, uh, at the cellular level, typically our bodies use glucose for energy. You guys may have learned that a little yeah, bit in do. science, right? Yeah, to make ATP, mm -hmm. right? You need to have glucose and oxygen to make ATP. For, for all metabolic processes, but there's another pathway that we don't usually tap into, and that is um, using ketone bodies to make ATP instead of glucose. Mm. It's actually a far more efficient system, and the brain loves ketone bodies. Your brain needs some glucose, but it actually is far more efficient on ketones. And, and when you get into true nutritional ketosis, and I think it's a worthwhile experiment, you feel a little bit sharper. You're more cognitively aware. Um, you don't get tired as much. You don't get like a afternoon dip in energy at all right. um it, it's unbelievable and essentially what you do you can actually train your body to burn fat preferentially huh. and once your body has been doing that for a number of months it's fairly easy to go back and forth from burning glucose to burning ketone bodies um and, and you know if you look at human evolution we were never meant to eat several meals throughout the day um, and it's, it's really interesting in our society now most of us don't know what it's like to operate under ketones from the time where babies were probably on glucose, because you think about it, you know, most, most young babies, um, they're being breastfed by their mothers, um, which is a wonderful whole food for babies, you know, high in fat, uh, low in carbohydrates, you know, they're getting everything they need to grow. But as soon as they can take baby food, look at what the baby food is. It's like mashed up applesauce. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's always this stuff that's high carbohydrate. Um, and even my own kids, we used to puree, we, used, we, we did the right thing. We pureed potatoes and, and fruit and things like that and give it to our kids. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you think about it, most people have never known what it's like to be off glucose. Yeah. Right. 
And so it, it's a worthwhile experiment, I think, to try the keto diet, see what it does for you. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's worked well for me. Um, so with the, on the fitness or whatever thing, uh, are there any plans in like the middle school, like for fitness classes or something other than PE, like maybe weightlifting or? Um, I have been talking about it. I talked about it with, uh, David Evans, our athletic director. He would love to get, um, a strength and conditioning class going. I would love to as well. Space is an issue and funding of course is an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of my other roles, I actually did a couple days a week of strength and conditioning with kids, and it's something I'm thinking about doing next year. Uh, we have a space we think we might be able to use for it, and we have some basic equipment to get it going. All right. so, definitely on the horizon. All right, so uh, I think that's about it. Um, thanks for coming on. We really enjoyed it. Uh, and I actually learned a lot. I didn't. I wasn't expecting to learn as much as I did. Yeah, anytime I'd be happy to. I, I love talking about nutrition. If you guys want to talk about that <laughs> anytime, especially with your athletes, mm -hmm. my best advice to, to anybody with nutrition: eat plants and animals. If you can, <laughs> eat plants and animals. <laughs> kind of sounds funny. Like it, think about that. It, it, it sounds funny, but it's it's completely true, and most yeah. people don't. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean like after humans have um, you know messed with it at all. If you can eat real plants. Real animals, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Simple rule. <laughs> All right, thanks. All right, no worries. Hello, everybody. Micah here. Since it's National Tell a Story Day, we're going to have Patrick tell us a story. So, Patrick, are there any extreme things you've ever done? Uh, yeah, actually, I went uh, skydiving, and you killed me. I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I am as well. Oh look, the light turned green. Time to jump. Um, I think you should go first. I'll just shove ya. No! Ah! Whee! Hey, I'm gonna deploy my parachute. My, mine's not working. Oh no, Patrick, are you okay? Thank you for listening to Three Guys, One Table. This has been Diving Deeper with Mr. Williams. We hope you found this fun and informative. See you guys later.